When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. O-Z-Y. Ozzy. Ozzy Media Productions. John Lennon is dead. Police have a suspect in custody whom they describe only as a local screwball. He is Mark David Chapman, 25, who came to New York a week ago. I left the hotel room. Bought a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, signed it to Holden Caulfield from Holden Caulfield. I'm not going to tell you my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas, just before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. That was the holiday season for soldiers, 1944. The Catcher in the Rye may have influenced Mark David Chapman when he killed John Lennon, but the novel had a very different purpose for the man who wrote it. It was a means of survival for J.D. Salinger. On the surface, The Catcher in the Rye is a story about a teenage protagonist, Holden Caulfield, who spends a few days in New York City after getting kicked out of boarding school. Dig a little deeper in the story behind Catcher in the Rye, and you'll find it's darker and more complex than people realize. This is the day for which free people long have waited. This is D-Day. Salinger wrote that when he stormed the beach of Normandy on D-Day, he had with him on his person six chapters of The Catcher in the Rye. No one else had copies. Ken Slowinski, author of J.D. Salinger, A Life. In other words, if something were to happen to Salinger, Holden Caulfield would die. Salinger would survive, but only after witnessing and enduring unimaginable suffering. Why, Lord, why must I learn to testify When all I want to be is just a catcher in the rye I'm Sean Braswell, and this is The Thread a podcast from Aussie Media where we examine the interlocking lives and events of history. 
We turn back the clock, one story at a time, to reveal how various strands are woven together to create a historic figure, big idea, or an unthinkable tragedy. This season, we start with the death of rock star John Lennon, and over the course of five episodes, actually connect it back to communist leader Vladimir Lenin. Along the way, we meet some of the 20th century's greatest artists and writers. We explore how each of their stories hinge on the past and influence the future. If you are listening for the first time, please go to episode one to start our interconnected story from the beginning. In 1951, The Catcher in the Rye exploded into American bookstores. The funny, wry, iconoclastic figure of Holden Caulfield would influence generations of young people. On the 50th anniversary of its publication, Louis Menand wrote in The New Yorker, Salinger is imagined to have given voice to what every adolescent thinks but is too inhibited to say. The whole emotional burden of adolescence is that you don't know why you feel unhappy or angry or out of it. The appeal of The Catcher in the Rye, what makes it addictive, is that it provides you with a reason. It gives content to chemistry. Catcher has now sold more than 65 million copies, and even more than half a century after its publication, it still sells around a quarter of a million books each year. And while it never reached number one on the bestseller lists at the time of its release, Catcher caught fire, thrusting the lanky, handsome, and dark-haired Salinger, still only 32, into the public spotlight. It was uh, something of a cult novel, uh, almost immediately. And the attention of, of the press, the attention of the media, uh, the attention of fans, was something that uh, Salinger could not deal with, and so he retreated. He retreated to uh, some place where he could write in solitude and keep to himself and, for the most part, keep the world at bay. Salinger's withdrawal from society made Holden's fictional protestations against modern life and phonies seem all the more real and catapulted Catcher to even higher levels of popularity. Salinger would go on to publish many stories in the decade or so after Catcher, building worlds of damaged characters and families, including the highly precocious children of the Glass family. But all the while, he retreated further and further from society until... He decides he's never going to publish again, and he doesn't. He publishes his last story in 1965, but he never stops writing. The mysterious genius crafting unknown masterpieces was just too much for the public to resist. Salinger was stalked by media and fans throughout his time in seclusion. Those who ventured after him in the ensuing decades would encounter wall upon wall around the literary giant, from no trespassing signs to a phalanx of lawyers ready to challenge any unauthorized use of his works or stories. For more than half a century, he declined interviews and shunned photographers. This evening, one of the world's great entertainers and musicians, John Lennon of the Beatles, was shot outside his New York home. Slowinski says it's likely that Lennon's murder at the hands of Mark David Chapman only made Salinger's paranoia worse. I think he had to have been aware that if one crazy fan of mine committed this murder and killed this very famous person, I could be next. Salinger's withdrawal from the world was all the more striking given his tremendous ambition as a young man, his dreams of becoming exactly what he became, a world-famous writer. How could a man turn his back on fame? How could he turn his back on fortune? 
How could he stop publishing? If you have a talent, are you not obligated to share it with the world? So why did he turn his back on the world just as he was achieving his dreams? Salinger's retreat began well before Lennon's death, and even before Catcher made him famous. It wasn't just to avoid the media or his fans. Like many war veterans, Salinger was retreating from his own past and the devastating trauma of combat. The Second World War is, is without a doubt, the pivotal event of Salinger's life. Whereas before the war, all he wanted was fame and fortune and recognition. Um, after the war, he's very leery of people. He's very leery of crowds. He's sort of cowering um, from the world. Salinger didn't write much about World War II, but one of the unpublished short stories he wrote about it, The Magic Foxhole, is mesmerizing. In it, Salinger describes the scene he must have encountered on D-Day. There wasn't nothing on the beach but the dead boys of A and B Company and some dead sailor boys and a chaplain that was crawling around looking for his glasses in the sand. He was the only thing that was moving and 88 shells were breaking all around him. And there he was, crawling around on his hands and knees looking for his glasses. He got knocked off. That's what the beach was like when I came in. Salinger was drafted after Pearl Harbor and assigned to the 4th Infantry Division. In January 1944, he left for England, where he joined tens of thousands of American soldiers preparing for the Allied invasion of Europe. When D-Day came, Sergeant Salinger crowded into a landing craft with 30 men and launched with the second wave for Utah Beach, just after 6.30 a.m. on June 6th. Within an hour of landing, his division was moving inland, and from that point on, Salinger found himself in near-continuous battle for the next 11 months. All the while, Salinger carried those first six chapters of The Catcher in the Rye. And he carried these six chapters throughout the war. As if, I think, as if they were a sort of talisman. As if he uh, derived strength from them. For months at a time, Salinger had no breaks, no rest. He did not bathe or change clothes. The 25-year-old's regiment suffered more casualties than any other American regiment in the war, and the young writer witnessed the deaths of countless friends and fellow soldiers. Salinger's division was also one of the first to enter Germany, where he ended up in the middle of the bloodiest fighting of the war, including the infamous Battle of Hürtgen Forest. Hürtgen entailed perhaps the most senseless carnage of the whole war. Historians consider it a big strategic blunder and waste of human life. Men fought from tree line to tree line in the dark forest and froze to death in the bitter cold foxholes they slept in. Most of the soldiers that Salinger served with died. And most of them died not from battle wounds, but from disease and from the elements and from frostbite and cold. And he was very nearly one of those numbers. There were more than 3,000 soldiers in Salinger's regiment that went to Hürtgen. Just over 500 survived. Salinger was one of the lucky ones, but his fighting was not over. Next came the Battle of the Bulge, the costliest engagement in U.S. Army history, where over 100,000 American soldiers were killed. 
More fighting in the forest, more sleeping in frigid conditions. The high tide of this German attack was reached two days after Christmas. That was the holiday season for soldiers, 1944. In April 1945, the winter thawed and Salinger's division sighed with relief. It appeared the worst was behind them. Then they came upon the concentration camps at Dachau. Salinger and his division flung open the gates, and prisoners emerged wearing black and white striped suits and caps, like skeletons in rags. You could live a lifetime, Salinger later told his daughter, and never really get the smell of burning flesh out of your nose. To see that level of depravity, that level of evil in the world, um, has got to rock you, has got to change you. He used writing throughout the war as a sort of self-therapy, as a way of dealing with the horrors that he he was witnessing and and what he was going through. It was almost as if he was clinging to writing as if it were normalcy. It was something normal to him in a world that's gone insane. Salinger wrote a handful of unpublished war stories, but he promised himself that he would not write about the war if he escaped alive. It was a vow he kept, but the war still infused his work. Take this well-known line from the final chapter of The Catcher in the Rye. About all I know is, I sort of miss everybody I told about. It's funny. Don't ever tell anybody anything. If you do, you start missing everybody. The angst of Catcher, which would influence millions of readers, including Mark David Chapman, may not have been the words of a troubled young man trying to make his way in the world, so much as a grown man trying to hold his together. Like everything that Salinger wrote after World War II, the war simmers just beneath the surface. World War II might have destroyed part of Salinger, but it made him a writer. There would be no catcher in the right were it not for the Second World War. The character of Holden Caulfield might have matured in the bloody battlefields of Europe, but he was born before the war in a Manhattan hotel room. Up next, Salinger collides with the world of the phonies, the upper crust of New York's elite society, and the girl that broke his heart. The Thread is brought to you by Aussie Fest. Aussie Fest brings together incredible music, provocative ideas, laugh-out-loud comedy, and mouth-watering food in New York City's Central Park. Check it out at Aussie.com slash AussieFest. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free 
free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Young Jerry Salinger grew up, like Holden Caulfield, on the Upper East Side, easily the poshest area of Manhattan. He was a snot-nosed kid. Uh, plainly put. He had an ego. Even as a child, he had a great ego. He was convinced that he was destined for greatness. Uh, He bragged to his friends, even as a teenager, that he would one day write the great American novel. Salinger published his first short story just after his 21st birthday in 1940. He promptly dropped out of Columbia University, convinced that this was the first step in a dazzling writing career. For several months afterwards, He couldn't sell another story. Rejection after rejection piled up. I wondered if I was a has-been at 21, he later said. He spent the summer of 1941 with friends on the Jersey Shore. There he hung out with the privileged young people that he had made fun of in his stories. One of them was the dazzling and very famous Una O'Neill. Salinger was taken with Una almost immediately. She was literary royalty, the daughter of the Nobel award-winning playwright Eugene O'Neill. And at 16 years old, Una was captivating. Una 
was stunning in her beauty. She was absolutely gorgeous. She was、uh, vivacious. She was young. She was witty. But on the other hand, there was something frivolous about Una O'Neill. Salinger was crazy about her. Here's how he describes one such love-struck encounter and catcher. She knocked me out. I mean it. I was half in love with her by the time we sat down. That's that's the thing about girls. Every time they do something pretty, even if they're not much to look at, or even if they're sort of stupid, you fall half in love with them, and then you never know where the hell you are. Girls, Jesus Christ, they can drive you crazy. They really can. Salinger meets O'Neill, and he's just head over heels. And he's probably walking on clouds when he returns home to New York at, at the end of the summer. It was a romance that would impact Salinger for years. He was obsessed with Una. He bragged about her to all his friends and family. Problem was, he had trouble keeping up. His parents were wealthy, but he didn't have an allowance. Now Salinger is a no one. He's a broke no one too, and he's dating the, this this famous woman with a very famous father. And the paparazzi are following them around, and here's Jerry, next to her, and he's trying to date this woman and take her to these places that he can barely afford. Salinger wasn't the only one in love with Una O'Neill. Many older, more sophisticated, and much wealthier men wanted Una on their arm. Salinger, he has this aversion to what famously will become known as phoniness, and all of these people are about as phony as you're going to get. So he has the simmering resentment for all of these people who are surrounding Una, and she craves that attention. Salinger knew he couldn't keep this up long. He had to be a published author, published in the likes of the New Yorker, if he had any chance of keeping Una. The New Yorker was the epitome of success for any writer of short stories, and Salinger wanted to be published in the New Yorker more than anything else. So when it comes time to write at the end of the summer, he doesn't just go home. He checks into a hotel room in New York and begins to type out a short story. This story, a slight rebellion off Madison, is the first appearance of Holden Caulfield. That's where Holden and the Catcher in the Rye are actually born, out of Salinger's meeting with Una O'Neill. As the fall of '41 went on, Salinger felt Una slipping away, which added to the urgency of getting published. The New Yorker had rejected seven of Salinger's stories, but finally, a slight rebellion was accepted. It was scheduled to run in its Christmas issue, and then, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Yesterday, December seventh, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. The New Yorker put his story on hold, and in April 1942, Salinger received his draft notice and reported for boot camp at Fort Dix in New Jersey. That same month, Una received her own designation from New York Society, Debutante of the Year. Just a few months later, Una left New York City to be a movie star in Los Angeles. He knew he was losing. Her affections. Her, he was losing her、uh, attention. And one day, while Salinger was still at boot camp, he saw in the newspapers that Una O'Neill had married Charlie Chaplin. And that's how he found out that the love of his life, at least the, at that time, 
had left him. Charlie Chaplin, world famous movie star and more than 30 years her senior? On June 16, 1943, the 18 year old Una wed the 54 year old Chaplin at a Justice of the Peace. She was his fourth wife. Salinger was crushed. More than anything else, he's humiliated because he has bragged to his family, he has bragged to his friends that Una O'Neill, the famous Una O'Neill, is his girlfriend. A man scorned. It's even worse than a woman scorned. This is Jane Scoville, Una O'Neill biographer. When she married Chaplin, he sent a letter, an awful letter. And it, it's this vicious, really vicious、um, satire of how he imagines Una and Charlie Chaplin's wedding night. Complete with illustrations. It was、uh, a notorious. Notorious letter. When lashing out didn't make him feel any better, Salinger took another tack. As he feigns this sort of romantic amnesia, oh, I never loved Una, he says. I've forgotten all about Una. Well, of course, that's not the truth. Because only weeks before, he told a friend, I would marry Una tomorrow if only she would have me. One year after Salinger found out about Una's wedding, he was fighting for his life on the beaches of Normandy. Una was the great romantic tragedy of Salinger's life. She played a huge role in the birth of Holden Caulfield, in Salinger's tirade against the phoniness of New York high society. Without his heartbreak, without his battle fatigue, could Salinger have written The Catcher in the Rye? Without Holden Caulfield to channel, would Mark David Chapman have gone over the edge? In our next episode, we pick up the thread with Una O'Neill Chaplin. She's not nearly as well known as some of the men whose lives she touched, including Truman Capote, Orson Welles, Charlie Chaplin, and of course, J.D. Salinger. Soon you'll hear her whispering in the background of America's greatest masterpieces from The Catcher in the Rye to Breakfast at Tiffany's. The thread is produced by Meredith Hotnot, Libby Coleman, and me, Sean Braswell. Our editors are Carlos Watson and Samir Rao. Meredith Hotnot engineered our show with mixing and sound design from James Rollins and Chris Hoff. Special thanks to Cindy Carpian, David Boyer, Tracy Moran, Sean Culligan, Sanjeev Tandon, Jeremy Williams, Cameo George, and KALW. This episode featured the song Catcher in the Rye. By Sammy Walker. Check us out at Ozzy.com, that's O Z Y.com, or on Twitter and Facebook. To learn more about the thread, visit Ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to the thread on Apple Podcasts. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, like this one, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 